Welcome to the Transform Your Teaching Podcast. The Transform Your Teaching Podcast is a service of the Center for Teaching and Learning at Cedarville University in Cedarville, Ohio. We seek to inspire higher education faculty to adopt innovative teaching and learning practices. Thanks for joining our conversation. Welcome back to Transform Your Teaching. I'm Jared Piles, and with me is Dr. Robert McDole. I'm going to keep changing how I say your name. Dr. Rob McDole, Robert McDole. Rob McDole is fine. But you're a doctor now, though. I'm Dr. Rob McDole. You can't. I mean, you spent a lot of money for that. Anyway. In this episode, we're continuing our interview with Dr. Quentin Schultz. We talk about cheating and respect with students, and also we delve into chat GPT a bit. His thoughts are really good, really intriguing, really interesting. So here you go. Here's part two of our interview with Dr. Quentin Schultz. Tell us a little bit about how you define cheating and how you headed off at the pass, how you explain it in your book. Well, one thing about cheating is that students, many, many students are going to cheat one way or another. Sometimes they won't know it's cheating, particularly in, in an area of how they use sources. If they're writing a paper or doing a presentation and they got an idea from someone, but they don't cite that person. So that, that's one kind of cheating that's very common that many students don't know is cheating. But there are other things. Uh, for example, in the book, I talk about students asking other students what was on the exam they just took. You know, maybe they're taking it the next day or later that day. They want that information, and I discovered students doing that, or a student reported it to me, and I thought, that's interesting. I wonder if the students know that that's cheating or not, because it is an unfair kind of practice, and so I need to address that. But uh, for the, the related to the content of my courses, so that if students are doing projects or if they're doing papers and they're getting outside information and they may be tempted to use information from other people to get it online, maybe even to buy a paper or to buy a PowerPoint presentation on a topic or to get one from a student uh, that did one for a different section taught by a different professor, that kind of thing. I realized that the only really good way of addressing that would be to provide a disincentive for it because I couldn't monitor it all. So I make every course somewhat idiosyncratic. In other words, I do things in a course using some language that's my own language adapted for the course and my own kinds of assignments that can't, you can't really go out and get other information to cheat. So one common way is for Christian perspective. I have language that I use in Christian perspective that doesn't get used by others. And so I use it in part because it's good and descriptive and in part because it discourages teaching. A good example of that in communication, bad communication, uh, and, and not uh, ineffective, but really morally bad communication, I call malcommunication, M-A-L, malcommunication. And that term is not used. And so when I have assignments about malcommunication, if a student goes to one of the new places uh, online where they're trying to compose a paper on it, they're, they're going to have a, a whale of a time getting confused about it because uh, they can't really track information about that. So I think the best thing we can do 
to avoid cheating and to discourage students because they're tempted is to be as idiosyncratic as we can reasonably be and yet stay true to the subject. So in a follow-up to that, um, chat GPT and OpenAI. Oh, yeah. In fact, I've been tracking it closely and uh, have been communicating about it with some academic chief academic officers at different Christian universities who are very, very concerned about it. And uh, what's happening with this artificial intelligence or AI is, in one sense, it's wonderful because it can be used in such wonderful ways, in generally in life, to make life more productive and interesting, where you, you give some information to a machine, and then a machine takes that information, manipulates it, and it integrates it and spits it out in a particular form, maybe in the form of an essay or in the form of a memorandum or something. And the people who do AI are making a lot of progress on that. But this provides a real temptation for students. And my guess it's going to provide a temptation for graduate students who are doing theses and dissertations or people who are writing books are going to get in trouble with it. Uh, but again, it's the same thing. If you If you come at projects and assignments in a way where there is something particular that you have and either in the specific content or in the rubrics, the criteria you're using for grading, it stymies these things. And the big problem with artificial intelligence communicating well has always been that it can't deal well with information that it doesn't already have, especially information that's that's a metaphor that is something that's like something else. So it, AI will never write great poetry because it's so metaphor-laden. And what I think about with my classes is the terms that I have that I want the students to know, a lot of those are metaphorical terms so that in teaching communication, I might talk about living under the shadow of the fall, the fall with a capital F, the fall, uh, the fall into sin, the fall from grace, or whatever. So, again, I'm I'm going after it in ways that are going to stymie these machines the best that we can do that. I've been diving into it for the past two weeks. It can do some pretty amazing things. I wrote two blog posts here recently. Used ChatGPT to kind of inform and also expose it to those who are reading what I'm writing. I think what what's most interesting, probably all of, out of all of it, is I I asked ChatGP to write a ending, a witty ending that would be a Cedarville-approved ending to a blog post, and it did. It wrote, "Well, that's all, folks. It's a wrap. And remember to think biblically and act missionally at Cedarville University." That's what ChatGPT came up with. Of course, yeah. It, it's taking uh, some of the basic material that's online about Cedarville, its mission and purpose and so on, and it's throwing that back at you. So if, if we think of our work with students as doing, um, doing memes, I guess is one way to put it, uh, you know, memes or slogans that are commonplace 
then the AI looks pretty clever. But as soon as we adapt so that it can't do that, uh, then it, it gets into trouble fast. You know, we, I, we just need to be more creative on this. And I think it's a good thing because I think it's too easy for us to, to go along in an AI-developing world and have students doing things that AI could do and then think that if our student had done exactly the same thing, they would have necessarily have been well-educated. One thing I forgot to mention on this, by the way, is form. So with most projects, I uh, put the assignment in a particular format that the students have to use. And even if it's an essay, I don't just say write an essay and it has to have a thesis statement. I say it has to have these elements to it, more or less in this order, but these things could be changed. And the reason I do that is twofold. One is it helps the students uh, who are more, are more marginal academically to have a form. And then I give them examples of things that students have done in the past without their names on it. Uh, but it, it also uh, helps me uh, avoid students doing something that would just be typical. You know, if I taught history and I uh, had students, I said, I want you to write a paper on the uh, the uh, Christian origins uh, with the Jacobins, let's say, of the French Revolution, uh, the AI is going to do a pretty good job on that. Uh, but if I switch it around and, and say something about how uh, the, uh, the, uh, the Orthodox Christian faith did or did not influence the French Revolution, now AI is going to spit something goofy out. One of the things that we thought about was, why don't you just use AI in your assignment, tell the student, you know, give them the prompt that you want them to use, and then to analyze and critique, tell you what's right with it and what's wrong with it. And is there anything that you might add? Sure. And I've done that for years with Wikipedia. So, you know, you, you can look at Wikipedia as kind of a predecessor to some of the AI stuff. And so, so you can, I say to them, in fact, even in a public speaking course where they have to use sources, I say you can use Wikipedia, but you have to reference it. And you have to have found a source that supports what you found in Wikipedia. And then even with a beginning public speaking course, let's say a freshman course, I require the students to have in their speeches uh, at least two sources which are from academic journals that are not accessible online. So they have to go into the research databases at the library or they can do it online through the college. But, but that material, uh, except in secondary ways, is not going to be available online, and it's not going to be available in the AI material either. Also, let me add, it's, it's related to how we think about our students. And so as servant teaching, the way I think we should be teaching, it demands a lot of respect for students. And I stopped years ago ever referring to my students as kids because of what I saw with my colleagues using that word kid. They're just kids. 
Well, I don't want to treat them as kids. Even when I send them an email, uh, if it's personal, I use their name. Otherwise, I call them whatever the topic of the course is. If it's a course in media criticism, I say, Dear Media Critics. Or if it's a course in public speaking where I call it Servant Speaking, I say, Dear Servant Speakers. Sometimes with upper-level students, I refer to them as colleagues. So that that's one thing. I want the respect out there. They know I respect them. They're more likely going to respect me and the work they do as well. Now, if I think there's a problem, and this has happened many times where I think they may have taken information from somewhere else, I'm going to do a little bit of investigation, and I may find that they probably got some material from somewhere, or I may find that it's questionable if they did or not, but it's, it's really getting to me. I will meet with them, and I will say, hey, I read this through, and this is really, really good, and I'd like to know a little more about the sources for this beyond what you have in the paper. Can you tell me a little bit more about the research that you did I'm a little fearful that you may have used some sources that you forgot. I don't say didn't, but forgot to credit. And But they also could be sources that would really help me in my teaching as well. Can we talk about that a little bit and see where they want to go with that? And then I begin to judge the nonverbals a little bit. And if they get very nervous very fast, then I know we've got a problem and we're going to have to deal with it. But I want to deal with it in an upfront way an honest way with respect for the students. So now there are a lot of examples and illustrations we could go through how this gets worked out, but I think we should assume that the students are not cheating, and if we run into some evidence that they are, and I have found cases where students have basically taken whole chunks, whole papers of material from elsewhere, I do approach them. And then I have to make a decision about what I do. And I put in my syllabi typically that it's up to me. Uh, it, although with some, I do a lot of adjunct teaching now because I retired from full time. I do it at different schools. And some schools have a policy on this as to what you have to do and some don't. But if a school doesn't have a policy, then I want to give the student a chance to apologize and to redo it from the ground up. And if it means... They're going to finish the course late, and they have to have a deferred grade or whatever, then I give them that. But I, I want to try to make things right. I, I like your approach to that because it's not, I think a lot of times in higher education, maybe not a lot of times, but um, we tend to take a gotcha approach to cheating and plagiarizing where we want to catch a student. Ah, and I got him finally. Uh, but I like your approach of talking with them and having that one-on-one -on -one conversation um, in a calm demeanor that doesn't necessarily come at it as from a perspective of, um, you know, what, what, I, what I'm trying to say is that we, we get too confrontational. We already have the, the end in mind before we start the conversation. We've assumed that the student is cheating, is plagiarizing. Um, but it could be the case, like you said, where they're just not aware of the, what plagiarism is, or they thought that they could, you know, cite a source this way or not cite a source. You know, I, I teach, um, first year composition and it comes up a lot where a student thinks, well, that's common knowledge or that's not common knowledge. So they feel like they, 
don't have to cite it or they do have to cite it. Um, so I do appreciate that approach of being, you know, conversational, being one-on-one. And again, going back to, with humility, approaching the student as a servant teaching method. Thanks for that. I, that's really encouraging for me to hear that from you. I have found comfort myself as a follower of Jesus in approaching students that way. And some students have just confessed immediately I was short on time or they had difficult things going on at home. One of the principles I talk about in the book, Servant Teaching, is that we don't know what's going on in the personal lives of students unless they tell us something. And sometimes they can have very difficult things going on, and that is keeping them away from their studies. And it doesn't help when we lean on them too hard on their studies without getting some understanding of what's going on, not to ask them to tell us everything going on. But I say to my students, if you're in severe, stressful situation with your home life or a roommate or whatever, I tell them a story of a roommate I had one time at college in a big uh, mainstream university where the roommate uh, taped, put tape down on the floor, down the middle of the room, right up to the door where you'd come into the dorm room and said, you step on my side of the room, I'm going to kill you. And he more or less meant it. And that was a very stressful semester, and I had to get out from under that situation and request a different roommate and different room and all. I've had students that have lost, uh, I had one that lost both parents. I've had students that uh, have been raped during semesters. I've had students from difficult backgrounds like I had, let's say, with alcoholic parents or very difficult job situations where they were being sexually harassed and all of this stuff going on. And so we have to recognize students as whole persons in however we approach them. So that was part two of our interview with Dr. Quentin Schultz. And this one, he talks about the relationship between respect and cheating. Dr. Quentin Schultz, recommends respecting students as a way to serve them because that will also lead students away from cheating because of the respect that you are uh, instilling in them and by proxy they'll be respecting you as well and use that as an opportunity to engage them and help them learn your thoughts well it sounds an awful lot like uh, what jesus said in matthew seven twelve: is that treat others the way you would have them treat you it's known as kind of the golden rule but I think it works here, too. The more you have a relationship with someone, the more you treat them with respect, the more likely they are to treat you in the same way. So that'll do it for us today on the Transform Your Teaching podcast. Join us next time as we wrap up our interview with Dr. Quentin Schultz. See you then. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Transform Your Teaching podcast. Please subscribe or follow us on your preferred podcast platform. For more information, you can email us at ctlpodcast at cedarville.edu. Please consider subscribing to our blog, Focus, found at cedarville.edu forward slash focus blog.